Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Radel has the latest on what Minnesota officials are doing to prevent the spread of the Zika virus. Mike Grimm goes long with a preview of the Vikings preseason, and I set the mood for the Summer Olympics by taking a look back with Winter Olympic gold medal winner Scott Hamilton. But first, a number of new laws that the legislature passed earlier this year took effect this week in Minnesota. One of the most controversial is a reduction in sentences for certain nonviolent drug offenses. The new law is not retroactive and applies only to future convictions. MNN's Bill Werner has been monitoring this debate for some time. And Bill, what are the arguments from each side? Well, Scott, proponents of sentence reductions point to Minnesota's burgeoning prison population and contend that a good number of those behind bars have mental health problems and need treatment rather than jail time. Opponents warn that career criminals could be let back out on the street. The new law was a compromise between those two groups, and Republican Representative Tony Cornish from Vernon Center says, Well, to tell you the truth, I'm not happy with it. Um, We were kind of forced into it because it was going to be a full-blown minimization um, of sorts to... uh, greatly reduce the uh, sentencing and uh, to up the limits on what you could care before you get charged. But um, by filing the bill, it was able to dial that back and get it stopped and then get into a compromised position. So, and that's what this is, a compromise. And I don't think the other side liked it much either. So I guess that makes both sides fairly happy. Uh, What things about it specifically don't you like? Well, you know, they, they raised the, um, the, the limits on some of the drugs, uh, even though they uh, lowered it on uh, marijuana, uh, actually made it more severe uh, for marijuana because you were finding just about had a truckload to get a severe charge on that, and it was marijuana is going to be such a problem. And uh, heroin stayed the same, but they they reduced quite a bit the uh, the, sen- the length of the sentences and up the uh, the limits on drugs before you would get seriously charged. So. Law enforcement wasn't very happy with it because it, um, at an all-time high of drug use, even worse than methamphetamine uh, was to begin with, or in, in the bad times, uh, when we reduced the restrictions um, or sentencing guidelines, that didn't make them very happy. But like I say, it was a compromise. The uh, the proponents of this initial legislation, so this should be Senator Latz, obviously, um, talked about that some of the sentence reduction is necessary for a couple of reasons. First of all, the prison population is going way up. But beyond that, uh, that uh, many of these folks, at least what the proponents say, many of these folks are uh, in prison uh, and and they would be better off being in treatment uh, rather than behind bars. What do you think about that? Well, the other side of that is that um, Minnesota has still one of the lowest uh, incarceration rates per capita in the whole nation. And um, drug treatment does work in, in, in some places, and we're not fighting that. But uh, they tried to make it look like all of these people were addicts. They're feeding their, their habit. Uh, but we heard from law enforcement that that's not true, and in a lot of the cases they're out there criminal activity and to make money and aren't even users. So there's just two sides to the issue, and we'll find out if we track it carefully with statistics in the next five years where it's going. 
That's Vernon Center Republican Representative Tony Cornish, strongly in support of lessening prison sentences for nonviolent drug offenses, is Senator Jeff Hayden, a Democrat from Minneapolis. When you think about what Representative Cornish is saying, there's an all-time usage of drugs, or they, we have an opioid crisis and others, and the laws that were on the books that were stern didn't stop it, right? So it's kind of to the point that I think Tony is trying to make is, listen, we have to have a multi-pronged strategy to deal with these issues around drugs. I mean, first of all, those that are using, which is a good number of people that were there, they used and then they, they commit crimes or, or start selling drugs to try to help feed their use. That's an addiction. That is a disease. That is all of the folks in the world, the social scientists. We have a, you know, one of the largest uh, drug rehabilitation centers in the country, Hazleton, Betty Ford. Um, Working on those issues to try to relieve, alleviate, and deal with addiction is important. If people break the law, then they need to have kind of the appropriate sanctions. But I don't think we should be sending people to jail for addiction or for, for, or for long periods of time uh, for people who have addiction or feeding their addiction. So we're, we're trying to find a different approach that gets at the core issue, uh, is much more um, effective and rehabilitative than sending people to jail. Um, so I think, and, and, but if you're a kingpin, if you're somebody that's driving this issue, if you're doing those kind of things, I, I think that we, we've addressed that. But, but sending people to jail is so expensive, and it doesn't help them. Uh, with all due respect, Representative Cornish, I, I think, is out of the mainstream and represents his own viewpoint on issues, even not even those in his party. The reason why the Republicans compromised was because they are starting to understand this issue because this issue of drugs does not discriminate. I know, Senator, that one of the things that initially got this discussion going was Minnesota's prison population, and, you know, perhaps that's not the main reason for the change. Uh, but do you anticipate that there's going to be a reduction in uh, in Minnesota's prison population as a result of this new law? Maybe you know, not immediately, but at some point in the future. I, I certainly hope so. Um, we, we, we need to get, have our prisons... Uh, be filled with people who have done violent crimes, who have crossed the line, and there we need, but we need appropriate sentencing and sanction. And if you're addicted to drugs, and you, for some reason, did some things you weren't supposed to, we need to give you the appropriate sentence. But if you're there just because of the drug, that doesn't mean that if people aren't in prison, that they're still not on probation and parole, and that they're still not having to do things like drug testing. And, 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 you know, get back to work. And there'll be all of these sanctions that will still be on people that will tell them, you know what I mean, that they, we want to reintegrate to a society, but to sit them into in a correctional facility in some town in Minnesota, um, I think is, is not there. That's State Senator Jeff Hayden. And Scott, just to put some perspective on it, Representative Cornish, who chairs the House Public Safety and Crime Prevention Committee, said even if Republicans gain control of both the Minnesota House and the Senate in the next election, they likely will not change the law back, but rather collect data for a few years to see what needs to be done. Thank you, Bill. I'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. 
Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Over the next couple of weeks, the Minnesota Department of Health will be in southern Minnesota surveying recreational and commercial sites for mosquitoes known to carry Zika virus. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Weather permitting, public health officials will visit sites in Winona, Rochester, Mankato, and Worthington, to name a few. Joining me now is Dave Neitzel, an epidemiologist at the Department of Health. Dave, how many mosquito species carry the Zika virus? In the United States, there are two species of mosquitoes that uh, we know can uh, have the capability to transmit Zika virus to people. One of those, uh, Aedes aegypti, has never been found in Minnesota and is kind of a a tropical mosquito that we don't ever expect to find here, but um, we're keeping our eyes open for it anyway. And the other one is called the Asian tiger mosquito. Uh, it's uh, 80s elbow pick. This is the scientific name, but most people just call it the tiger mosquito. This is one that um, uh, was accidentally imported into the United States in the 1980s. Uh, in shipments of used tires from Asia and has since spread around the country um, in shipments of used tires and other water-holding containers. You know, if, if we have mosquitoes in the su- southern part of the U.S. that lay eggs in a tire or some other bucket or can or other water-holding container and that, gets, that container gets shipped up to Minnesota, we could have those mosquitoes introduced here. So um, as part of our effort to monitor Zika viruses here, we're um, looking for this particular mosquito in Minnesota. And, you know, when we talk about this particular mosquito, you had mentioned that usually um, it, it gets transported here, like in a bucket or, or, or a tire. Does this type of mosquito do well in Minnesota due to kind of, I guess, our cold winters? No, it, it does not do well. Um, I, I, I was uh, part of the group that first found these mosquitoes back in 1991, so you know, 25 years ago. Uh, since that time, they've been found a total of 17 times in Minnesota. All those infestations have been very small, and none of them have been able to survive the winter. Um, and in particular, you know, of course, a lot of mosquitoes freeze during the winter months, but what we look for is the survival of the eggs over the winter. You know, mosquitoes that we have... Uh, uh, native to Minnesota. They, they do a very nice job of surviving the winter in the egg state, but this particular mosquito, at least so far, has not you know, shown to, been shown to do that. And I know that your surveillance has already begun around the state, and it looks to me like you're really focusing on southern Minnesota. Why is that? We're focusing on southern Minnesota because if, if this mosquito is able to survive here at all, it would be in the, the warmer, you know, southern part of the state. Um, and we're also focusing on areas where we have a lot of um, uh, commerce that uh, brings, uh, you know, goods and other things in uh, into the state because, you know, that's how the mosquito is going to get here. It's not going to fly in from the southern United States. It, it will hitch a ride with people. So we're, we're focusing on uh, some of the industrial areas and nearby parks and things like that where this mosquito, you know, if it was brought here where it would likely show up. Can you explain to folks why we're we're doing this and why Zika, I guess, is so scary at this point for some? 
Well, for most people, Zika virus is a very uh, mild illness at best, but um, as, as has been you know, uh, talked about in a lot of different uh, uh, news uh, stories, um, this, this particular virus can really severely impact the unborn child. And, and so you know, we're trying to do what we can to make sure this virus does not get into uh, women who are pregnant or are going to become pregnant soon. And our main, our main message has been, of course, that uh, women who are considering traveling out of state to uh, countries where Zika virus uh, outbreaks are occurring right now, uh, that they should avoid the, the trip until the outbreak is over. And the most updated list of countries is, uh, is always posted on the Centers for Disease Control website. They have a very good site that mentions all these areas. But that's, that's our main focus here is trying to keep this virus um, out, of the, out of women who are, are pregnant or will become pregnant soon. And have there been any cases in the U.S. of Zika? virus involving babies? Um, there have been uh, several, well, there, there have been uh, a lot of cases reported around the country in pregnant women. Um, now, a lot of those women have not given birth yet or are just starting to give birth. Um, there's just a, um, you know, a couple of cases of, of adverse outcomes, that uh, birth outcomes that have been reported so far, but um, nothing yet in, in Minnesota, so that's encouraging. Um, so far, we've had 31 uh, Zika virus cases reported in Minnesota travelers. About half of those were men. Um, the other half were women. Five were, were pregnant women. And how far south do we have to go in the U.S. before we begin to see these types of mosquitoes that carry Zika? Well, the, the one that, that really carries Zika virus the most, the Aedes aegypti mosquito, is most common in the, in the Gulf Coast states. And you really have to get down uh, very close to the Gulf before you really start running into lots of them. The Asian tiger mosquito is, is found pretty commonly as far north as uh, uh, Missouri and um, uh, southern Illinois. But uh, you know, once you get into Iowa, they, they don't have established populations that are known there either. We don't have any records of this mosquito in either Wisconsin or the Dakotas either. So you know, Minnesota is actually, the, uh, I think, about the furthest north this mosquito has been found. And it's just been you know, these kind of summertime infestations that die out then uh, before the next year. Thanks again to my guest, Dave Neitzel, an epidemiologist at the Department of Health. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Sometimes, a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, the charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. 
We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Vikings have now wrapped up their first full week of training camp in Mankato. The team will open the exhibition season this coming Friday, August 12th at Cincinnati against the Bengals. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has a purple and gold report on the Vikings this preseason on Minnesota Matters. Scott, the returning NFC North Division champion Vikings will be spending less time than normal this training camp in Mankato. The team will break camp after Tuesday's workout and head to Cincinnati, where the Vikes will hold two joint practices with the Bengals prior to Friday's preseason opener there. This past week in Mankato, our training camp correspondent Barry Wartell from MNN affiliate KTOE in Mankato caught up with a couple of Vikings to discuss the preseason. In the first discussion, Barry chats with veteran defensive end Brian Robinson early in camp. Welcome back to Mankato, Brian, but pass rush is so important. Absolutely. You know, we've got a we've got a great group of D linemen here that uh, we have an opportunity to be one of the best that's ever come through this organization. And, um, you know, but, you know, just sitting here saying that day day three of camp, uh, we still got to put it put it on tape and, and moving forward, we got to get better each and every day. High hopes. It's better to have high hopes, but, you know, I think back to the Twins. We had high hopes for the Twins and, and for the Vikings. There's so much enthusiasm. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter what the expectations are, what the hopes are. Um, you still got to go out each and every Sunday, and you got to put it on tape. So, for us, uh, you know, we can't we can't be going into games with an end goal in mind, which is the Super Bowl trophy. We can't we can't be sitting there, you know, thinking about that. We got to think about the task at hand, which is the the opponent that's in front of us, and make sure that we uh, dominate them in every possible way that we can. And if we do that, then at the end of the year, I think we'll be pretty happy with where we're at. Good mixture of young linebackers, but like it's just good to see Chad Greenway here. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I've spent most of my career here with Chad, and well, all of my career here with Chad, and uh, you know, it was great to see him back. I was, I was really excited when they were signing him back during the off season, and uh, looking forward to playing with him for another year. He's a, he's a great veteran leadership for those uh, young group of linebackers back there. Quick stay in Mankato, and then you practice with the Bengals. Something different. Yeah, I mean, I've done it in the past, you know, when we did it against Kansas City. But, um, yeah, it'll be something a little bit different for some of the younger guys that are on the team that haven't done this before. Um, kind of get the juices flowing a little early. And for three days, you get to hit someone else finally. Final thoughts about just a few days in Mankato. Everybody, you know, you feel good about everything? I do. Um, you know, I, f- I feel like we're, we're, you know, making the right you know, strides of where we need to be. Um, I think I think Mankato is always a grind for the players, but it's also a great thing for the fans to be able to come out and see us every single day. So um, I think for us as players, we just got to come out here and understand that this is this is part of our job description. It's one of the dirty things we do in our job. We got to come out here and fight every single day uh, in order to put our, our team in a situation to be uh, where we need to be when the season starts. Brian, thank you. Only the best. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. That's Barry Wartell and Brian Robison. On the other side of the ball, Barry sat down with offensive lineman Brandon Fusco. I could ask you about practice. I could ask you about Tony Sperano. I was just impressed by signing autographs for special needs. That's a big part of being an athlete. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's what, that's what comes with being a professional athlete. Uh, you know, it touches my heart to come out here and see those guys out here waiting for autographs and 
just want to take the time to come out and sign a couple autographs, put a smile on their face. Quick stay in Mankato. How's it going so far? Pretty good. It's uh, it's always hot out here for some reason, uh, but I uh, always enjoy it. It's uh, nice to be out here with the fans and with the team and everybody, and uh, just working hard and trying to accomplish a goal and get to a Super Bowl and win it. New look offensive line, or uh, you're playing the same spot, or yeah, right. I'm back at right guard, and I'm happy about that. Feel very comfortable, and uh, I think we're all working hard, and it's great competition off on the offensive line. Everyone's working hard, and uh, they're trying to find the best five. So I think we have a good group of guys that want to come out here every day and work hard for Tony, and he's a great coach, and he's teaching us a lot, and I think we're all getting better. Brandon, uh, a couple of final thoughts. Uh, working against the Viking D line. Yeah, it's not not very easy task. Uh, you know, easily one of the best defenses, uh, defensive lines in the league. Uh, you got great talent up front, even the second group. I mean, it's it's hard to say who's first and second sometimes because uh, got such great talent. Only the best. Good luck. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brandon. Thank you. That's Barry Wartell and Brandon Fusco. As mentioned, the Vikings open the preseason this coming Friday at Cincinnati. That's followed by another road exhibition game at Seattle on August 18th, the Thursday night. The first-ever NFL game to be played at New U.S. Bank Stadium will be a Sunday afternoon preseason tilt featuring the home team Vikings against the San Diego Chargers on August the 28th. The final preseason game will be Thursday night, September 1st, against the Los Angeles Rams, also in Minneapolis. Scott? Thanks, Mike. The Vikings' regular season opener is set for September 11th at Tennessee. More Minnesota Matters after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. All eyes are on Rio as the 2016 Summer Olympics get underway. One person with a unique perspective on the Olympic experience is retired world champion figure skater and 1984 Winter Games gold medal winner Scott Hamilton. I spoke with Hamilton recently about winning the gold and what it meant to him to represent the U.S. on a world stage. I think, you know, aside from the military, you know, the, the greatest way to represent your country internationally is as part of the Olympic movement. Um, you know, when you uh, are able to, you know, go out in a, in a situation where um, you are representing your country and you are, um, you know, hoping to do something um, that benefits the entire country, you know, world championships, national championships, international competitions, those are all somewhat individual achievements. But the Olympics is different. You know, when you're competing there, you're, you're not just representing yourself, you're representing your country. And when you 
it's a podium like no other. I mean, if you're able to um, get win a gold medal and hear your anthem and and share that with your nation, I mean, there's no greater feeling of pride and um, just like how did this happen? <laughs> you know, um, it, it is a, the greatest the greatest of all athletic moments. You know, I'm sure all those things you just mentioned were probably going through your mind as you stood on the podium. What else were you thinking? I mean, were you able to actually take all of that in in that moment? Oh, man. it, it You know, people ask me all the time, how does it feel like? And I tell them it's, it's not what you think necessarily. It's, it's pretty much every emotion you have in your body. It's, you know, it's that pure joy of, of you know, you actually did this. It's uh, a feeling of relief that you were able to get through it. It's sadness that it's over. It's a, you know, guilt that the people that made that happen, helped make this happen, aren't standing up there with you. It's the, you know, it's the feeling of loss, like, well, my whole life has led to this moment. Who am I now? You know, I mean, I mean, it's really complex. You know, it's like you almost need, you know, a therapist, you know, on staff, you know, for the post-Olympic medal ceremony. But um, it is, it's, you know, every emotion you can possibly uh, feel and it's to its greatest extent. You know, I was you're almost dizzy up there with you know everything that's going on and and but you know ultimately it's something that kind of anchors the rest of your life is in that moment. You know all the opportunities that come your way, how people look at you and um, everything. So it, it, it is a, a very important, um, a huge moment and one that you don't feel at the time. You know, it's just over time you realize it's you know what that moment did for you. Do you have plans to head to Rio for the upcoming Olympics? Now, I'm a winter guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone to two summer Olympics. I went to LA in 84, um, and then I went to Beijing um, in, in 2008. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'd love to go down to Rio. I've never really been to South America. Um, you know, I know they've got some significant challenges, uh, facing them with the Zika virus and a lot of the pollution in some of the water event areas. But, um, you know, I, I think they're, they just hosted a world cup a few years ago. So I think they're ready, you know, to, to be able to move people and their hotels are up and ready. And a lot of their venues are absolutely locked on. So, um, it should be a great Olympics. Scott, I hope you don't mind if I ask you about some of your pop culture presence. I know that you were in Blades of Glory, and I wanted <laughs> yeah. to ask, it's such a ridiculous movie. Is, there, is it based in any way on any reality of competitive <laughs> figure skating? Well, yeah, of course. You know, it was almost like a documentary to me. I'm just kidding. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, what was great about it was, you know, I've been asked, Time and time again, because, um, you know, I've been doing commentary, you know, CBS, now NBC, for the Olympics, you know, forever. And I get asked to do these skating movies, and I say, no, because they're trying to be, like, really legit. They're trying to be spot on. And when I when I heard about Blades of Glory, I actually met Ben Stiller at a uh, St. Jude event. He said, I'm doing a skating movie. It's like, no way, really? <laughs> so I knew it was going to be awesome. And then um, my choreographer of 20 years was the choreographer on the movie, and she said, have they called you yet? And I said, no, I haven't talked to anybody. She goes, you're in the script. I go, oh, okay, so I have a negotiating position. That's pretty <laughs> strong. Um, but when I read the script, I thought, this is so far removed from reality, but it's just there's just enough of it in there where they're, they're kind of giving skating a little bit of a noogie. They've, it's done with love, 
and respect and kindness, but they're really, you know, taking the parts of skating that are ridiculous and kind of making them even more ridiculous. And um, it was fun to do. And uh, <laughs> I, to this day, it, it's one of the great gifts that, you know, I've been, I was actually able to be a part of uh, Will Ferrell comedy. You know, at the peak of his career. Well, it's a it's a funny movie, and it's great to see you in there, and and some of the other skaters as well, and sort of giving what is clearly not legitimate some sort of air of legitimacy. <laughs> so, well, I mean, being from Minnesota, I mean, you see skating all the time, and you know, it's kind of the, I mean, hockey and figure skating are the sports, you know, in Minnesota, right. and so uh, you know, just again, you know, being a member of that cast and the way they treated me was extraordinary, and and they had two directors. Um, I get the directors kind of cut their teeth doing the Geico commercials with the cavemen. So they really had a great comedic sense. So, um, to be, you know, working with John Heater and Will Farrell and, and Jenna Fisher, I mean, it was, it was really awesome. Will Arnett, Amy Poehler, it was a great cast and it was really fun to be a part of that. Were any of them good skaters? I actually, you know, it's uh, ironic was, uh, Amy Poehler, went to the same high school um, that Peter and Kitty Carruthers went to, and she played a pair skater, you know, in her thing. So she'd grown up knowing about Peter and Kitty Carruthers, who were silver medalists in the 84 Olympics. And uh, John Heater actually took it pretty seriously. He was pretty proficient. Uh, Will Ferrell, you know, you know, he's so big that <laughs> it's really not easy for a guy that big to be a great skater. So I think in a lot of his scenes, they did a lot of, face replacement technology, which was amazing. And the, and the skaters that doubled for them, you know, are skaters that I'd known in the past. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, some of them picked it up pretty well, and others kind of faked it beautifully. Scott, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me today. Hopefully we'll see you in Minnesota at some point in the near future. Here. Yeah, I and, hope and so. I love it there. Thank you for your time. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks again for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.